Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Hey, a few things before we get started here. Again, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. If you want to get ready with that, if you have your app, you can open up. There's a, a Bible option on there. You can take notes. There's no questions, just so you know. Uh, we're not going to be having questions for a while because we're not in connection groups. This week is the last week. If you're in a connection group, uh, it's been eight weeks. And so we're going to be wrapping things up as far as just in general sharing. I'll be emailing all of you in connection groups as far as what's going on. So just so you know, um, there won't be any questions on your note sheet there. So uh, feel free to take notes. Uh, also, just to let you know that our ministry team leaders just kind of met and uh, kind of update what's going on is uh, we are not going to be able to go inside for a while. And I have a feeling just to mentally prepare you as a church that we're going to be outdoors probably through winter, at least through Christmas and stuff. So mentally prepare for that. Um, and uh, just to know it is where we're at as a church. We're trusting God. We're adaptable. Uh, we believe in what we're doing. So we're just going to keep doing this. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll inform you. If it's going to downpour, we're not we're not going to go that far uh, because that's when we're going to get sick. Kids, no one's going to show up. So what we're going to do is we'll let you know, especially if you have the app, our church app, You'll get a notification uh, through that, and then we'll also post on Facebook. But if it's going to be cold, guess what? Bust out the beanies, bust out your flannels, bust out all your fall stuff, and um, and just cozy up. We're gonna we're gonna go for it. So that's kind of the plan for as we go into the winter time. But we're gonna be outside for a while. Luckily, it is California, so all of December could be in the 80s. Who knows? So uh, we're, we are fortunate. My my. Um oh yeah, well. I didn't want to promise heaters. We, yeah, now you're making me overpromise. So again, these interactions aren't going well this morning. Um, no, uh, we've talked about heaters. We're trying to figure out what we can do as much as we can, but it costs money and uh, we're limited and we want to be very wise. And then also just transporting it and things like that. So we got to think through some logistics there, but um, so that's a maybe. So thanks for bringing that up, Ken. <laughs> um, but uh, you're trying to blame on Celine, but Seeing Celine reminded me, uh, we are planning on um, offering in the next, you know, probably a few weeks. We'll kind of see how the planning goes. But children's ministry, we're going to start ramping that up. Um, we think that's going to be a benefit. The kids have been great, by the way. We like them running around, having fun, enjoying church. But we're beginning to move into that phase. We have a team. And if you signed up for children's ministry, um, we're going to be uh, getting you together and talking about that. So uh, we're looking forward to that. So that hopefully you kids, they enjoy the day even more so. So that's all the things kind of going on right now. Uh, and again, afterwards today, after the baptism, just so you know, we are uh, ordering some extremely expensive pizza from Domino's. And so we're going to be hanging out and then we'll put the football game on and kind of hang out today. So that's that's our plan. So let me pray again and get us ready. John chapter four. I'm excited about this passage and uh, we're going to be jumping in. Jesus, thank you so much for um, just your example as we get up close and personal with you, like we get to read your best friend wanted to share the highlights of what we needed to know about you so that we could not only follow you, but your desire is that you live life in a way where if we live like you, we're going to live the best life we can. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would um, encourage us this morning. I pray that we'd be motivated as a church, and I pray that you'd be pleased with us, that you would. You'd be proud of Access Church and that we're representing you the best way we can. 
And uh, I just ask that you'd speak to each one of us. Not one person, no matter where they're at, they feel like they're far from your close. Your voice carries to the ends of the earth. And I pray that all of us would hear from you today. Praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so far, John, we've been through three chapters. And uh, again, it's culminating. John is sharing uh, specific things for us to know. John is one of Jesus' best friends. And so uh, the first chapter, John started off saying, hey, there's light and there's dark. And that Jesus is light. And so if you wonder why the world's messed up, if you wonder why you're messed up, because we're part of the dark. <laughs> that we're born with this nature that naturally wants to rebel. Not just towards our parents as we were growing up, but towards God. That naturally all of us don't want someone telling us what to do. Right? That's why most of us are frustrated with California right now. Right? We don't want someone telling us what to do for Thanksgiving or what to do. And that's natural. And so, uh, but what happens is when we have that, that posture towards God, we see that the world begins to crumble, right? And if, if everyone wants to talk about, like, what are the problems we need? We have financial crisis. We have an educational crisis, health crisis. Our biggest needs as human beings is we have a soul crisis. And that God has the answers of life. He has the way of life. He's the way, the truth of life. But we just, ah, we want to do it kind of our own way. And, and so he says there's a light and there's a darkness. What God invites us into is this light. And we can trust Jesus. John says you can trust Jesus because he's not only fully human, but he's fully God, which means God is speaking for God. It's not some dude that sat under a tree, you know, um, smoked some herbs, you know, and had this enlightenment and had this, you know, oh, and this, this, this God or this, this something spoke to me and I have this deep insight now. It's not some guy that got this education and he's super smart and he's smarter than you, so he's going to tell you about God. It's God speaking for God. And if you want to know who God is, I'd rather God speak for God than some man or woman speaking for God. That's what makes Jesus special. That's what makes him unique compared to any other person in human history. The other thing that makes him unique is he died and he rose again. That's pretty unique, right? I bet most of us don't know someone in our life that died and rose again, right? That's a unique thing. And so John's saying, like, check this out. You got to listen to this guy. He's worth hanging out. He's worth um, listening to. And so then we go in and Jesus um, validates himself by these miracles. So these miracles that he's doing, the water to wine, it validates that he's special. You might want to pay attention when a dude is at a party and he changes the water to wine. And I know some of you, you grew up in the party days and you had some cool party tricks, right? You always had that friend that could do the, the cool kind of party trick. Well, Jesus had the ultimate one. You got water, you ran out of alcohol, he makes more. And for some of us, we're like, that's a God I want to follow, right? Some of us gave our lives to God on that sermon. You're like, yes. I can follow that kind of a God. And then uh, we see that last week we talked about um, how God looks at as far as how we should live our life. And he says, listen, if you want to live your life for God, you have to be reborn. And that's a spiritual thing, that your spirit has to be reborn, which means that your spirit is dead. Your body's alive, but your spirit is dead. And he says, listen, the spirit is what livens your soul up to live for him. And then he goes into John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why did he give his only son? That the spirit would be then given to us that we could live a new life. We could truly be reborn. We don't live like the rest of the world. And then Jesus in John chapter 4 illustrates what this reborn life looks like. He illustrates what it looks like to be living in the spirit, walking with the spirit, and being led by the spirit. So John 4 Verse 1, we see here, it says, um, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples 
than John, and that's John the Baptist, not the person who wrote this. And he says, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went, went uh, back once more to Galilee. So Jesus went down south, and now he's going back up north. And just so you know, Israel at this time is about the size of Southern California. So Jesus was born and hanging out kind of in the, uh, the L.A. area. And then, but most people worship down in San Diego. So he cruised down to San Diego. It's about the same distance. Did some ministry there, but uh, the religious leaders were getting fired up because he was getting popular. And Jesus didn't want to be fully, he knew it wasn't his time yet. And so he goes back up north, back up to L.A. That's about the distance that he's covering here. Now, in the middle between L.A. and San Diego, there's this area that the Israelites never wanted to hang out in. That would be called San Bernardino. All right? Notice I saved Riverside. We're cool. But San Bernardino, they were considered, they were literally called them half-breeds. And so what, what they, they didn't consider them um, chosen people. And so they were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were outcasts, and they didn't, they didn't consider them as far as truly following God. And so the hatred was so severe that if you had to travel, they would literally go around. They wouldn't go through, even though it was a direct pathway, they would go around this area so they didn't have to interact with anyone that was called, it was Samaria. So they didn't want to interact with them, they didn't want to see them, um, and they didn't think that God cared about them. So they thought they were super religious and God cared about them and that these people were super judged. And so they didn't want to hang around them. And, they, and in, in, in a sense, they wanted them to feel shamed that they weren't close to God, the Sumerians, but the Israelites, they were chosen by God. So they, they wanted to feel kind of above them, superior. So Jesus is traveling, but look what Jesus does. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. He's referencing an Old Testament passage um, and what happened in the Old Testament. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now note, it says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. This is a big deal in a few ways. First of all, Good, godly Jewish people did not interact with Samaritans. So that was a no-no. That was a big no. It was frowned upon by the religious community. Second of all, a man talking to a woman one-on-one -on -one like that, that was frowned upon. Uh, back then, especially in that culture, uh, women, I think, were in some ways appreciated, but in some ways uh, viewed as property. And so there was an interaction. Even church back then was separate. Women went over here. Men went over there in the temple. So there's a lot of separate. There's a big no-no. A lot of taboos being broken. It's interesting that um, this can happen in Christianity, right? Where we buy into tradition and taboos and things that aren't necessarily biblical. And we make them a bigger deal than the Bible. What the Bible says to make a big deal. Like what's a big deal in the Bible? If someone's disconnected from Jesus, we have the answer. We have the cure. Like, do whatever you can to give people the opportunity to have eternal life. Like there's nothing more important than that. Living forever or not living forever. Like that, there's nothing more important than that. But sometimes we can make certain things a bigger deal than that. And that's what was happening back then. And so this is a big deal that, that John is writing that Jesus did this. 
Well, the Samaritan woman said to him in verse 9, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She knows it's like, what are we doing interacting here? This is weird. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, you notice Jesus always speaks cryptically, right? As far as just, what are you saying right now? Just, you know, if, if you interact with God or you read the Bible sometimes and you're confused, most of the people in the Bible were confused. So you're in good hands, right? And so he goes on to uh, say, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank for himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this amazing water so that I don't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus is interacting on a certain level, but he has a, he has a deeper meaning as he's interacting with her. But, but here's what's interesting is, the Son of God and his priorities compared to the religious community. He's connecting with some random woman. She has no power. She has no authority. She has no major influence. And look at who he seeks. He goes to a place other people didn't want to go. Why? Because he's trying to model to us, and he's modeling the disciples, this is what it means to live a spirit-filled life. Many times when we talk about a spirit-filled life, like when you're reborn, we view this as an emotional thing, like, you know, and, and that you then, like you have these deeper insights and, and that you're smarter and that you're more, all these moral things, which that might happen, but the main thing of a spirit-filled life is that your mission, your objective in life is different than everyone else. You see, without the spirit, I live for money. I live for politics. I live for sexual pleasure. I live for comfort. I live for, I live for the things here. And it says, when you're reborn, all of a sudden you care more about others and not just anyone, not just people that you like or that you get along with, even people that are supposedly your enemy. This is very profound because today, more than bridge builders, sometimes we're, we build fences, not bridges with people, right? If you have a political difference, you're easier to mock online, right? If you have a difference... Uh, with a friend as far as just like whatever it might be. It's, it's easier. We're in an argumentative kind of time. And as Christians, what the Bible says, listen, if you're born again, we're always looking to build, build bridges, not build fences. Our society builds fences because it makes them feel safe and it makes them, you're an enemy, you're bad, it makes me feel better about myself. The Bible says that if I'm reborn, it's no longer about me, it's about them. And so Jesus is modeling this where a woman who he shouldn't be talking with, that other religious groups say she's not worth it, he goes to her, and, and again, she's of no, no prevalence at all, which shows that Jesus will go after anyone. Now, as he's interacting with her, he's asking questions, interacting, and he, and he told her, he says, interesting thing is, go and call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, which has got to be super awkward at this point. Like we're talking about water, now you're calling me out, and now I'm embarrassed in a society where you're, I mean, divorce is just like huge shame. 
and he's calling her out. And he says, what you have said is, is quite true. Now she says, uh, I can see you're a prophet. A prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's pretty much trying to divert the conversation now. Let's not talk about my husband's. And he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in, what's that word? Spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Both those are important. We worship in the spirit. There's something in our souls that we, we worship who God is because of what he's done for us and what he's done to us. But also we worship in truth. We don't make up who God is, who we want him to be. We don't cut and paste as far as what we like and this is who I think God should be. He's not. God's never asking us who he should be. He's already defined it. And now we have to accept that or we reject that. And that's important as far as that when God is interacting here, notice he has a heart for her, but he doesn't water down the truth. He doesn't water down the truth of her own need for God. Again, she's put her faith in men and has gone from man to man to man to man. And he's saying, stop, put your faith in God. But who he really is, not who you want him to be. Great interaction. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. A lot of times when we encounter God, and you see this in the New Testament, when people encounter God, he's very confusing. I don't know about your journey. Have you noticed when you try to figure out God, at first it's confusing, or it's a little uncomfortable, and you're like, I don't understand this Bible verse, or why would Jesus do this? It's kind of like what we looked at last week when we talked about Matthew McConaughey. You could tell he's on this journey. It's like, it's kind of spiritual, and I like the Bible, but I don't understand the burning bush, or I don't understand what he called the magic tricks, the miracles, right? But he's on this journey, and what we've got to be careful is we don't want to mock that because it's one of those things of Many of us are on that journey where it's confusing and, and that's normal because at the right time, God will reveal himself to you when you're ready. See, sometimes if you reveal too much, someone's not ready, right? Any of you raising kids, you can't tell your kids too much. They're not ready, right? You start talking about things at a level that's beyond them, they're going to get confused or can throw them off. You give enough information as they get older and older and older, right? Same thing God does. He's going to feed you enough to keep you curious, to keep you going, but at the right time, he's going to reveal himself to you, and that's when you want to respond. When he's knocking on the door, don't reject that. That's why we tell you, when you're ready, you get baptized. Don't wait on that, because that waiting period is a time where the Bible talks about where the Satan comes in, and he tries to steal that seed of faith. He's a thief. When that seed is planted, boom, let it grow. Make that commitment. He's revealing himself to you, and he's asking for you to give yourself to him. Well, verse 27 says, just then the disciples returned and were surprised, no duh, to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? They're like, oh, this is weird, but we're not going to say anything. Then leaving her water jar, the woman came back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus says, all right, you idiots. 
My food is this. It is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. What Jesus feasted on, what got him full, what got him content, what gave him energy was not physical food. It was doing the will of his father. This is the person who is reborn. The person who is reborn, they're on mission no longer for themselves, no longer for their just their education, their you know, their uh the things of this world or whatever they want. All of a sudden, how do I know if I'm born again? I'm on mission for God. And I actually I get full, I get energy by doing what God has called us to do. What has he called us to do? Exactly what Jesus is doing. The primary work of a Christian is not to read your Bible. Like some of us, we get so pumped. How's your week? Oh, I was in the Word of God five times this week. Great. Did you tell anyone about Jesus? No. I'm in the Word of God. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in the Greek and the Hebrew, and I'm learning so much. He didn't, he's not trying to get us smarter. He's not trying to have you learn more than the other person. All you need to do is learn enough. Now, the Bible's important, but only then if you feast on actually doing it and being on mission for him. He's saying the reborn person has this desire to connect with someone that's disconnected from God and to go to places and the people that others frown upon. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is why I'm, I'm so down, and I've had awkward conversations with some of you with the way we do online posts and the way we present Jesus to people. You're building fences. Well, they just need to know that I'm right. And they, Jesus didn't ask you to be right. He has to be on mission. And how do you reach people if you're making them feel like crap? How do you make people if it's like, ah, I made you feel stupid. Look at I'm right. How, how are you going to reach them? Has anyone here been argued into the kingdom of God where someone made you feel stupid, told you you're wrong, told you all the facts? You're like, oh, that sounds good. I'll, I'll accept Jesus. You're a good person. None of us. In fact, I would say for many of us, the reason we've struggled with Christianity or some of us today aren't Christians is because of other Christians. Maybe some of us were living, but we're not reborn because we're still living for ourselves. And you might cry during worship. You might throw a few dollars in the basket, but that's not being reborn. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. You don't have to be a Christian to read the Bible. I've had plenty of friends that read the Bible, super smart. They're not believers. I'm reborn when I'm on mission for Jesus. And that's what Jesus is showing here. He preaches the word, and then he's like, I'm going to show you guys now. And our real food is not what we eat. Our real food is doing the will of the Father. So Jesus goes on to explain. He says, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Do you believe that our world is ripe for harvest? Do you believe that, that your neighborhood is ripe for harvest? Your school is ripe for harvest? Your work, in fact, do you view your job as a harvest? Do you view your neighborhood as a harvest? Or just neighbors or just someone for my kids to hang out with? I view them as far as they're ripe for the harvest. They're ripe for giving their lives to God. I'm actually excited about it. I'm not scared about it. When you're excited about it, then you can't wait to engage. Every Jewish person was fearful of walking to Samaria, not Jesus. He was excited. He was excited to be able to plant seeds because from the seed that can grow and then you get the harvest. In fact, Jesus even goes on to say, listen, even now the one who reaps draws a wage in the harvest of uh, a crop for eternal life so that the sower may 
um, so the sower and reaper may be glad together. He's saying that some people sow and some people reap. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. What he's saying is God is already working. God is already planting seeds. He's sending you just to reap the rewards of what he's already doing in someone. Why did Jesus go to this woman? Because God was already working on her heart. You see, if she'd been married five times, I guarantee she was an outcast. Here's the other thing that's interesting about this passage is if you know this area, it's a lot like Southern California. It gets hot here, right? They're in a desert area. When it's hot, that's not when you go draw water. You know when you go draw water? If any of you have traveled around the world, when you see them, when they're most active, when are they most active in an agrarian society? Early in the morning and then later in the evening. Why? It's cooler. Which means she was going out when other people weren't going out. She was a person filled with shame, with regret, but she wasn't being honest with herself. And that's why Jesus was being honest with her. She had to confront the truth of, you don't need men. And the reason you're out here right now is because you're ashamed of yourself, but I have living water that will make you feel refreshed. In fact, she was so refreshed that she immediately then went to the village, (laughs) told them about him. He planted the seed and the harvest was already taking place as far as then she was going to other people. Well, look at what it says in verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is what it means to live in the Spirit. John chapter 4, Jesus is illustrating that if we are truly born again, then we're going to live on mission. It's not about just getting in the Bible. It's not about just going to church. It's not about just getting the chills. It's not about singing songs. That he realigns, he's reoriented us. And rather than living for myself, I'm living for him. And that's where I actually get energy. That's where I actually get fed. And he says some of us are going to be seed planters and some of us are going to be harvesters. But we're all together. Because some of you, as I talk about this, you're like, oh, Brian, don't tell me to go talk to someone about Jesus. Like, that makes me nervous. And I'm like, plant seeds. How did Jesus plant seeds? Did you notice how he did it? Just model what he did. First of all, he made time. On, as he was traveling, he made time. Are you making time in your week? Do you literally have time to go connect with people who are disconnected from God? Inviting them over. I go watch a game. Go over their house. I know for me, when there's UFC fights, I have a friend who's disconnected from God. So that's a time. I make time. If I have other things, stop those plans. I'm going to go over to the house. First of all, we have to make time to plant seeds. I have to be intentional with it. The second thing is, notice how Jesus doesn't start off the conversation with, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't sit down. She's like, hey, what are you doing here? Well, I'm the Messiah, and I've come to save you. Because he didn't start off with that. What did he do? Casual conversation asking questions, interacting, knowing about her life, showing that he cares. That quote, what, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care? That's what Jesus was doing. He's interacting on a human level. He's interacting on a human level in order to get to the spiritual level. We flip-flop that. If you come off too spiritual, (laughs) then you don't seem human, and people don't want to interact with you. So Jesus asked questions. He interacted, but here's the thing is Jesus still spoke truth. He spoke truth. 
because you can't make a decision about Jesus if you don't speak truth of people's needs for Jesus. The big thing about Christianity is this too, is that sometimes God will call you to people that you love. Sometimes God will call you to people that maybe you don't like, perceived enemies. That's what Samaria was. They're a perceived enemy. Or sometimes God will call you to people that you don't even know. That's the beauty of Christianity. What makes Christianity so unique is that we don't have to know you or there can be a perceived difference and we overcome that as far as we're called to be bridge builders. We're not here to build fences. But there has to be an excitement that our food is what we find energy is when we're able to connect with people disconnected from God, to bring them the same joy and hope that we've been given. It shows if we're truly reborn. And I want to encourage you guys with this. Never limit God. I think if Jesus would have told the disciples, hey guys, we're going on a mission trip. All right, awesome. Where are we going? Are we going back to Jerusalem to do a mission trip? No, we're going to go to Samaria. They'd have been like, nothing good happens in Samaria. In fact, they would have said, they don't want to hear about God. They don't want to hear from you, a Jewish person. They don't even like us. Like, never limit God. I've seen this in my own family. My mom was a powerful example of this as far as um, she had a traumatic experience. Sexual and physical abuse growing up. If there's any reason to build a fence, legitimate, that's it. Legitimate. When you have a family member who takes advantage of you in that way, is irresponsible as far as how they should be loving and kind and protective, and they take advantage of a child, I mean, it's, it's in, in some ways, it's evil, right? We view it as it's just incredible evil. At a young age, God did amazing work in my mom, and I know my mom was reborn. Why? Because she actually reached, prayed for, loved the very person who was a perpetrator as she got older. Because the pain of this person being away from God in hell forever was greater than the pain of what that person did to her. She was reborn. Because without God, you look at that and go, there's no way you should do that. He should feel the guilt, the shame. He should be forever. He should be imprisoned. All these things, and that's legitimate. But as a Christian, I don't live in the rules of the society. I live because I've been reborn for the kingdom of God. And God says, love even your enemies. So what was amazing is after years and years, and it took time, conversations, forgiveness, acknowledgement, speaking the truth. This happened. Don't deny it. Even saying this is not good for you to deny. This person in my family would give their lives to God in three years before they died, become a completely different person. You'd see it physically in them. You'd see it mentally in them. But the love of God was given, and my mom had joy that they were saved rather than a desire to see them punished forever. I saw it on my own family. Who would have ever thought that she would be the one to bring this man to Jesus? Nobody. What did Jesus say, though? With, with man, it's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Are you truly seeing that? There's people in our lives that we think they'll never become a Christian. I'll never invite them to church. How can we? God shows that, no, no, I'm always looking to do the impossible. I'm going to use you in situations that you think, there's no way I can be used. I'm going to use you. I've thought that so many times, like mission trips. Any of you been on mission trips? How many of you guys have been on mission trips? Cross-cultural. Like, right? Aren't those always scary? 
Because when we're doing the training, I'm always pumped up. And then when we start flying over, I'm like, why are they going to listen to some rich, that would they consider, especially like when I went to India, like some rich white guy that like my testimony is so just like, and, and I'm doubting the whole time. Like, this is going to go bad. This is going to go bad. They're going to, you know, and it's always amazing what God does as far as bringing people to tears or seeing people come to Christ. And I'm always like, wow, God is constantly looking to do the impossible. When I'm reborn, I believe in the impossible rather than limiting God to only what's possible. And I want to encourage you with this. Don't worry about the fruit. Just plant the seeds. It's not your responsibility to bring someone to God. It's God's responsibility. He just wants to use you along the way. Think about your life. How many seeds were planted in your life? Think about that. I know for me, I actually gave my life to God out of Alberto's. I know, super spiritual. If you really want to give your life to God, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, wait, don't do it today. Go to Alberto's, eat one of their burritos, and give your life to God. It's like a, a super spiritual experience. I was at Alberto's with my youth pastor. I was done. I was tired. The parties were over. The, the, I was exhausted. I was 17, and I was like an old man exhausted from the drinking and the party. I was like, I'm done. I've been doing this since 13. I'm exhausted, right? And nothing filled it. Like Every time I would have that high, I had the low. And there was no person that could fill it. And finally, I'm like, God can fill that. But here's the thing. He got to reap what others had sown. You see, first of all, I had a mom that when she was going through all these things with my different dad, three dads, the third one was really good. The other two, really bad. But what I remember about her is the Bible every morning was open on the table. Every morning the Bible was open, planting seeds. Even when I was sneaking around doing the worst things, my mom, and she probably knew, I look back thinking I got away with it. I think she was just like, that boy, that, that, she, he's God's. But she's like, what I can do is open the word of God and make him look at it. And sometimes I get angry. I'm like, ah, I didn't like seeing the Bible open. She was planting seeds, waiting for someone else to reap the benefits. I think of my sixth grade Sunday school teacher who for some reason tried to befriend me, but I made fun of him. In sixth grade, I was wicked with my humor. I would mock him. I'd mock his weight. I'd mock the lack of hair, which now God got me back at that, right? I, no, I used to mock him, and he'd sit by me, the kindest man. In fact, probably today he thinks I'm either going to hell or in hell. He's probably like, that, that kid was unsaved, right? If he thought I was a pastor, he'd be like, that'd be the worst church ever. Or maybe he was reborn in his mid-40s. He thought hanging out with a sixth grader was more than just Sunday school. Now he's planting seeds in a kid that was so angry because of the hypocrisy in his own home, the yelling, the physical abuse. So when I came to church, that's all I knew. But he was planting seeds of love. You see, he was a missionary in that church. And that kid that looked impossible, that kid looked like he was mocking, that kid looked like he was hardened, that kid looks like he's going to jail, that kid that looks like, and he's probably like, I want to hit you, but I'm going to love you, planting seeds. You see, he was the most, one of the most loving men, and I was in a period of my life where there was no loving men around. And then God gave me a soccer coach. And thank God he gave me a soccer coach that wasn't about goals. And even though I was scoring all the goals, and I was thinking that he liked me because I was one of the better players on the team, looking back now, it's not, that guy was a missionary. I remember he gave a plaque with the Bible verse on it. And I remember that, that in practice, he would never yell, he would never scream, and, and I knew he was a Christian, he's planting seeds. But someone else would reap the benefits. I remember my mom on the third dad, uh, on the third dad, his name is Al. Third dad comes in, he's a Christian, and whoo, 
He got a 13-year-old pistol of a boy that was angry. Here comes another man. I'll battle you two just like I battled the other two. And what did he do? He just loved. I remember one time I was so angry and I was yelling. He's like, well, why don't we just stop and pray? And just like got me angry that he wanted to pray. But I'm like, you can't yell at someone that wants to pray. Like you can't cuss at that moment. So I was like, all right, let's pray. You know, I just, but his gentleness, when I would scream, his gentleness, he's planting seeds. You have the opportunity if you're reborn to go plant seeds. And don't worry about the harvest. God will take care of that. But are you on mission? And do you get more excited about going out to eat? Or do you get more excited about being on mission and going out and reaching people for Jesus? This is John chapter 4. And here's the thing I want you to know is, if it's up to us, it's impossible. But with God reaching people, nothing is impossible. We're going to have the worship team come back up. And I just want to encourage you this week with having that mindset that your greatest joy and you being filled up would be on being on mission for Jesus. Never excluding anyone, always building a bridge, never building fences. And watch what God does. Be the person that you're planting seeds that maybe five years from now, someone's going to give a life to God because of what you did and do it in a way like Jesus did. Be conversational. Ask questions, be hopeful, be ready, but make time in your schedule, make time in your day, make time again. He deviated from his trip to go and to spend time with this person. Watch as the Spirit leads you to people that he's already working on, that you could be a part of the greatest thing of anyone's life. And that's when someone realizes their need for Jesus and gives their life to God. And that's what we're celebrating today at baptism. There's nothing greater There's nothing to celebrate more. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go2accesschurch.com.